There we go. I didn't want to talk about sorrow through the lens of death and, and losing a loved one. Because I knew that was going to be all right front and center in our hearts and minds. And, and so this week I went back and I said, okay, Lord, you've got to help me read this scripture from a different lens. And I think he kind of cleaned it up for me a little bit. And I was maybe imposing that on the scripture. So here it is, um, our passage from Luke. Andy, I'm going to let you advance those for me, if you don't mind. Passage from Luke chapter 13. And we're going to see how Jesus' heart is broken. And then we're going to learn from that, I think, how our hearts get broken at times. At that time, some Pharisees, you know how I do this. I'm just going to warn you. I'll read a little bit, and then I'm going to stop, and I'm going to comment on it, and then we'll go on. That's, sorry. At that time, some Pharisees came to him, to Jesus. They said, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. Now I'm going to stop. So here's the Pharisees. They come to Jesus and they are lying. All right? So let's just put this out right front and center so that we know what's going on behind the scenes. And we know Jesus knows what's going on behind the scenes. So they come to him and they say, Hey, Jesus, if you know what's good for you, get out of here because Herod Antipas is going to kill you. The truth of the matter is Herod Antipas really didn't care about Jesus. The Pharisees wanted to kill him. They're the ones that did it. But they come up and they they pretend. They put in this act. They fake it. And they go, we really care about your well-being. So you should leave from here because your life is threatened. And really what they're trying to do is they're trying to box him in. They're trying to contain what Jesus is doing. And so their little attempt at derailing the work of Christ is to say, you know what, your life is under threat by somebody else when they're actually the ones thinking about and planning and entertaining the thoughts of that. So, that's where we're at. We're going to keep going forward. That's what they've said to him. Jesus replied, Go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will accomplish my purpose. Okay, another place to stop. This is a little prophetic word about Jesus going down to Jerusalem and over the weekend... He's going to have this incredible weekend and the weekend is going to end with his crucifixion and I'll complete my purpose. Okay? So Jesus is saying, you know, I know what's coming. I know I'm going to die. And I know it's not going to be Herod Antipas. I got it. You guys aren't fooling anybody. So Jesus answers them that. Going forward. Yes, Today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must proceed on my way. For it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. Okay, again, I've got to stop. I, I, I read this, and I don't, think, I don't think Jesus used sarcasm, but if he did, this is about as close as it comes. It is. I mean, here's Jesus, and he says... You know, I'm going to keep going. I'm going on my way. And my way goes down to Jerusalem. And you know, no prophet gets killed except in Jerusalem. Where prophets should be among their people, their kind, the people who listen to God through the words of a prophet. But that's where prophets go to die. And it's, yeah, it's sarcastic. It's, it's, there's, a, there's a bit of humor. I don't know, maybe sick humor. 
Because Jesus is going to die. And he goes, oh, that's where, that's where prophets go to die. I once made a joke. It was totally inappropriate, and I got called out for it, about a place in the United States where there's a retirement center that's run by the Free Methodists. And I said, oh, that's where good Free Methodists go to die. And somebody came and said, that was not kind. And they were quite, they correct me, I apologized. But it was true. And so there's some truth to this that Jesus says, you know, good prophets end up dead, not just me, when they go to Jerusalem. That's where they go to die. So let's keep going with the story. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now, look, your house is abandoned. You will never see me again until you say, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So here's Jesus, and I I think now in this moment, he's just pouring out his heart. He's being completely open and saying, you know what? I have cared about you like this. I wished I could just bring you in like a hen gathers his chicks. I just wanted to love you and help you and protect you, but you fought against me, and you will not see me again here until I return. And again, this image going forward I'm going to return on the day of the triumphal entry and you guys are going to say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's when it'll happen. And so I imagine that as the disciples went back and replayed the tape in their heads and retold the story, somebody goes, you remember when we were standing there and they said Herod Antipas would be the one to kill him? And, and Jesus said, oh, I'll come back and this is what it will look like. And we had no idea. So... In this, we see, in this passage, we see Jesus hurting, deeply hurting over the condition of his people and over the way that they are reacting and responding to him. So let's, let's look at this a, bit, a minute. Now it works. Thank you. Andy, you're awesome. Uh, so here's the thing, and I want to suggest to you that what hurts the worst, I believe, in this world is not physical pain. I don't think physical pain is what really debilitates us as much as the pain of rejection. And nothing in that kind of pain, nothing can quite compare to the rejection of people who should know you and love you. That hurts the worst. And here's the thing, the most sinister of it probably, is opposition or antagonism that comes dressed up in words and in gestures of care. People that act like, I'm here for you, you can count on me, but when things turn and things change, I'm out of here, and on the way out, I'm going to throw elbows and punches and get in my digs and I'm going to make sure that people know that I really don't care for you, in fact. I have a friend who who went through divorce. And after he had healed for a while, I went through a period of healing, he and I were talking. 
And as we were talking, he said, I think it would have been easier if my wife had died. Because instead, I was told that the one who stood at the front of the church with me and said, till death do us part, you can count on me. I am making a vow before God. I am pledging my love to you. Is the same one who said, I can't stand you anymore. And I'm so upset with you. Instead of caring for you, instead of loving you, instead of forgiving and being patient, I'm going to do everything I can to let you know how angry I am. And the emotional pain that came with that for him was intense. And it, it, it rearranged his life. Being rejected at times is the worst pain that we can endure. The only thing I think that compares is being neglected. The only thing worse than being actually rejected and saying you're worthless is someone who actually demonstrates that they think you're worthless by not even looking, by not even paying any attention to you. So here's Jesus, and he is engaging the Pharisees. These are the teachers of the law of God. These are the ones that are supposed to know. These are the ones who are supposed to be holy. They're the ones who are supposed to be listening to God. And as Jesus is talking to them, they're playing this game where let's pretend that we like him because people like him. Let's pretend that we're on his side because people are on his side. But we really know at the end of the day, when it all comes out, we can't stand him. And there is a deep evil lie to that. It is an untruth that runs very, very deep. Several years ago, I had the misfortune of pastoring a family, not in this church, so don't go down going, get out the old uh, you know, church directly and see who he's talking about. Don't do that. Won't, won't do you any favors. But I pastored a family that, um, you know, when, when we arrived to pastor that church, they treated us very nicely, and we had some connections with them. They knew people we knew. They had gone to college we went to. And so we thought, you know, this, this is cool. You know, this is kind of neat. And then we found out, I found out, it took me a long time, because I'm not that quick on the uptake with these things, that there were some things in their lives that were really deeply out of order. But they had hung around the church and they had been quite faithful to the church, at least in some ways. And that allowed them to move into, the couple to move into places of leadership. But what the couple did was they had adopted a pattern, a practice of passive aggression. If you don't know what that is, it's when you make things look decent, you dress them up to be acceptable, but the underlying thing is outright rejection. And so what I encountered with them is there were times when I would go into a board meeting, perhaps, I'd say, here's what's going on, and this is what I think we should do. Oh, okay. And they would give the appearance of listening and even consenting or agreeing. 
and then throwing something back. And so it usually looks something like this, where I go in and say, you know, here's, we come up with an idea, or we're going to deal with this this way. This is what we're going to do. And they go, oh, okay, well, that looks very good. But have you thought about, and what if this happens? And what came was a litany, a long, sustained litany of resistance. Just pushing back, sometimes just a little bit, but then a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little more. And that stuff wears you down. It wears you out. It is the death of a thousand cuts. And it's the same thing that happens sometimes to us in marriage. And so there are times when, you know, you come home and, honey, will you do this with me or for me? Oh, you know, that is hard. I am tired. I'm not in the mood. And then, you know, over time, that wears you down. I'm just not going to ask him anymore. And so here's the thing. What happens with passive aggression is you give the appearance of being approachable while at the same time adopting the mindset that there's no way I'm going along with this. I've got to look palatable even though I am not going to be compliant. And there's a deep, sinister lie in that. So here are the Pharisees. We've got to look like we're okay with Jesus because people love Jesus. I mean, he's healing people and and he's turning water into wine and he's feeding thousands and this is, uh, we can't compete with this, but there's no way we're going to let him have this kind of authority because then we won't. And we're in this power struggle then. And usually passive aggression has to do with the struggle of power. So here, to go back to the story, I figured out after a while that these were people who would feign compliance and then go around and try to find all kinds of ways to make sure it didn't happen. These were people that I thought were on my side, but in fact, they were going around and trying to undo. And I just, I want to thank you, those of you who have had the unpleasant experience of having to talk to me and tell me something you don't think I want to hear. If you were honest, thank you very much. I may not like it, but I appreciate it. You know, one of the things we were... We were here yesterday celebrating Kay. You guys know, if you spent very much time with Kay Klein, she was not going to deceive you. She would tell you the truth. She would tell it in low tones. She might place a hand on your hand, look you in the eye, try to communicate some kind of closeness, and then tell you something you really did not want to hear. Oh, you guys are laughing like you experienced that. So I remember one day here, I kind of alluded to this story yesterday, but I remember one day here, I'd preached a message, and, and, and we were on our way out, and Bruce was still living, and so I was greeting them on the way out, and it just so happened that you guys were not lined up right in line, so it's your fault that somebody wasn't there to deflect this a little bit, but Kay came up to me, and I, I greeted her, how are you doing, and, and praying for you, and so on, and, and she said, can I, can I say something about your message? What do you say to that? No. <laughs> have a nice week. See you next Sunday. No. I mean, I should have tried that maybe. But I said, of course, you can say something about my message. And she goes, you were a little bit off today. You were just not on your game. And I sat there for a moment. And, you know, so the ego just took, you know, an uppercut. 
And I said, you know, you're right. But I realized it wasn't because she was like, you know, Bruce, before we leave today, I'm going to take him down a few rungs. That wasn't the motivation. And when I said that, you know, you're right. I just, this wasn't my best. She followed that right up with, I know. I know you weren't at your best. And that's okay. That's all right. We love you. And we're praying for you. And then they went on out and got in the car and left. And so here was this hard truth that did not make me feel very good, followed with a deeper, more profound, incredibly loving truth that, but you know, we can look at the truth because the way we love each other can sustain that. It can take it. I wish, for Christ's sake, that some of the Pharisees had said, you know, I love God so much, and this has to be of God, so I may not be very comfortable with losing my grip, my grip on religious leadership here, but I think this is of God. And so Jesus, I don't like what you're doing to me and making me feel, but Jesus, we recognize you are from God, and so go for it. But that's not what they did. So you know and I know that some of the deepest pain, probably the deepest wounds we will ever carry are wounds that come from people we care about. It's our family and friends. And not only is it our family and friends, when they, it's not when they misspeak or they say something or they act inappropriately at Thanksgiving dinner. It's, it's when we know that in their heart of hearts there is resentment and anger and I'm going to take it out on you. That, my friends, is what deeply, deeply wounds Those wounds take a long time to heal. And I would just suggest to you that these Pharisees are the family and friends of Christ. They're the ones who have studied the law. They're the ones who said they would listen to God. They're the ones that waited and watched for a Messiah until he showed up. There's a a statement that's made from time to time, and I don't know who to attribute it to, but... It is said about the United States, but it's also said about the church, that the church or the United States will never be destroyed by an enemy outside. But it will be destroyed quickly from within. And it's the same for you and I, my friends. It's the people that we think are right there close to us that are going to love and support us. Or, even worse, it's what's going on inside of us that we accept and we take it in and we think it will not hurt. And it hurts deeply. It's those little lies, it's those little deceptions that really hurt so much. So Jesus encounters these guys and go, oh, you know, Herod Antipas is going to kill you. And he knows, and I'm guessing that several others around him go, yeah, Herod Antipas isn't the one you should worry about. Herod Antipas isn't the one who's got, you know, the knife at your back. But they're trying to push him back. Go back to the hills up there. Go back to Galilee. Go back to those backward people who think you're really great stuff. Stay away from Jerusalem. And you get this response from Jesus, and yeah, like I said, it's kind of humorous, it's really disturbing, but well, where else can I die? 
Where else can I make this sacrifice? Except in Jerusalem. I mean, that's where prophets go to die. But they're trying to keep him from this. And so here's the thing. There's so many layers to what's going on because there's this political thing where, you know, we just don't want to give up religious power. Just go back up there to Galilee. Just be a weird sect up there and we'll stay down here in Jerusalem and critique you and tell people why you're all messed up. Don't come down here to Jerusalem because if you bring that down here, we can't compete with that and we'll, ha- we'll have to resort to horrible things. I mean, that's, that's really what the political thing is. But the spiritual thing that's going on that goes way deeper than that is Jesus saying, I have to come here. I have to fulfill my purpose. I have to write a new covenant. I have to, I have to shed my blood and I have to have my body broken. And this is where it has to take place. And so you try to push me out but I'm coming. I'm coming back in. So there's these setbacks. Let's, let's just, you know, keep this contained, manageable. But the purpose of God is never a thing to be managed. The will of the Lord is never a thing to be manipulated. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't manipulate very well. You see, sometimes we try to make things happen. And I think sometimes we should. We should be active. We want to be influential people. We want to leave the imprint of God by our influence. And goodness knows, you know, we, we hear this church's history was rewritten probably in more ways than I can think of by Bruce and Kay Klein's presence here. In fact, let's carry that a little bit farther. The history of this church and the ministry of this body of believers has been rewritten by you. We want to be people of influence. However, we also want to be people who are patient and know how to wait on the Lord. You see, when we try to help... When we try to, let's, let's move this thing along. And we are not waiting on the Lord. It usually ends up not looking so good. So when we try to help and we, we experience this pushback with people who go, I don't, I don't want to hear from God. I don't want to have to obey him. I don't, I don't want to be right with you and him. I don't want our family to be healthy. Whatever the context is. When we try to push that along and it doesn't help, people tend to reject us then and say, just stay away. That's the tendency. And setbacks and pushbacks go hand in hand. And I've found that in my life, generally, When I get out in front of God, I may be headed in the right direction, but I will go alone. And that is never good. But if I'm patient and wait on the Lord, I will either find out that I was going the wrong direction and needed some correction, or I'll find out 
I was better off waiting until the Lord brought others along for the journey. And so these, this, this idea of, of pushback, I, I just want to tell you, friends, as you're trying to honor God and you come up against these things and they just are not accepted and welcomed around you, wait on the Lord. Years and years ago, I had a, a group of young people in a church I was pastoring who came to me. They were very concerned for a friend and they came to me and said, you know what, this friend of ours, his life is a mess and we want you, pastor, to go and talk to him. And we want you to share the gospel with him. And, and we want you to get him saved. And I know that in their heart of hearts, their motivation was good. I, it was not impure. They weren't trying to manipulate, but I do think they were running ahead of God, and they were way ahead of me on this. I barely knew the guy, but they said, you know, we want you to... So I, I had a few interactions with him that were not really arranged. Okay, you know, let me, let me get to know him a little bit better. Let, me, let him spend time with me so he doesn't think that I've got, you know, I'm coming to talk to him and I've got a hatchet behind my back that I'm ready to, you know. And uh, he never really warmed up to me. And I prayed for him and me. And I said, Lord, give me the opportunity. They want me to go. And I never had the sense that the Lord said, go. So after a few months, they came to me and they expressed that they were very hurt and, disappointment and, and disappointed because I had not led their friend to Christ. And they said some things that young people tend to say. You know, some of us that have lived a little bit longer, I've lived a lot longer now too, we wouldn't say these kinds of things now. But when you're young, you just sort of blurt them out. And they said things like, you know, he'd be a Christian now if it weren't for you. And I sat there, and my, this was my response. And I said, now who's his friend? Who are his friends? Who has influence in his life? Why are you bringing me in like a hired gun? Why aren't you the ones going, we love you? Draw close to the Lord. Why are you so uncertain of your own words and so overly confident in mine? And I realized, I realized then that I can never ask someone else to do what God has put on my heart. I can only ask someone else to do what God has laid on their heart. And we try to do that, don't we? We want to change the way people dress. We want to change the way they spend their money. We want to change who they're dating. No, I'm talking about other people, I know. Not you guys. But I want us to be a church who put weights patiently on the Lord. And as the Lord moves, we identify it, confirm it, celebrate it. Then the setbacks and the pushbacks are minimized and brought into focus. Moving forward, when we come up against this kind of rejection, it hurts. I'm not going to pretend that, you know what, when you're a mature Christian, people can spit in your face and it's all good. There are people who will preach that kind of a gospel and I think they kind of just celebrate having spit in their face. And it's not all good. 
And there are times when we get rejected because we weren't wise, and there are times we get rejected because we really stand for the Lord. And that's what he said. As Jesus was praying for his disciples in John chapter 17, he said to the Lord, the Father, he says, Father, they will be hated because I have been hated. They will be rejected because I've been rejected. That happens. The the world will war against Christ until it surrenders to him. It will never win. It will only come to a place where it surrenders. And in this, Jesus knows now what it's like to hurt. And in fact, Isaiah gave us this picture as he was talking very prophetically about one who would save Israel. And he says, he will be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Isaiah recognized that a healing leader for Israel would have to be someone who knew what it was like to hurt. You know what? I don't like to play with people who only know what it's like to win. I don't like to do that. Because you know what? When they don't win eventually, they come undone. But when we're around people who know what it's like to stumble, (laughs) fail, and keep going, those kind of people are life-giving. They're the ones who come up and say, come on, get up. I've been there. You can get up, dust yourself off. It's okay. Get up and keep moving. You know what's heroic? Being heroic is being hurt and wounded and staying in the battle. That's heroic. And I would just suggest to you that Jesus knows that, yes, he was perfect in every way, and part of that perfection of Christ was facing people who sought to destroy him. And he kept moving. I'm still coming to Jerusalem. I'm still coming down here because I got things to do and you will not stop me. I just want to suggest for some of us in our families, we look around to people we love, people that we have nurtured, people that we have cared for, that have wandered far from God. Stay in the battle. Stay in the battle. Do not let the pain of distance cause you to give up. With Christ, giving up and surrendering are two different things. And so here's what I want to do. Um, The reason I asked Stephen to give a few of you, others of you, a chance to respond, we had all these men up here last week. It was great. Uh, There were nine of us, I think, Sid. Is that what we counted? There were nine of us that shared what we were challenged to let go of for for Lent. Um, Some of us, it's probably going to take on dimensions that go beyond between now and Easter. But then I went home and it was brought to my attention that there were some of you that were posting on social media and going, here's what I'm giving up. I do think it's kind of ironic. Elizabeth posted on social media, you're giving up social media. Didn't you do that? That's awesome. But I wanted to give you guys a chance to save some of those things because these are just little ways that we go, you know what? I am going to willfully make an act of sacrifice. 
I'm going to reject what I myself want in order for the purpose of God to go forward. I'm going to give up the easy way in order to take on God's way. And I'm going to keep that purpose before my eyes so that I will follow him faithfully to that end. So as we think about our hurt, and we think, you know, I hurt so much, I would just give up. I want to remind you that we serve a God who, is, who knows pain and says, no, don't do that, just lay it down. <laughs> just let it go. Surrender it to me. So I want the band to come back up. We're going to sing a, a hymn in closing. It's a hymn of comfort. But I want to suggest to you the only place we can find the kind of comfort from the things I've been talking about is at the feet of Jesus. And so maybe as I've been talking about these things, maybe I have poked at something. I've found kind of that open wound or that soft underbelly. And you go, man, the hurt I feel because of the rejection that I have experienced is deep and painful. And I can cruise along for a while and then all of a sudden it gets opened up again and I'm reminded of it. Well, you can, you can lay that at the feet of Christ and find comfort there because he knows that kind of pain. We're going to receive our offering and our tithes. Um, if you've made a commitment to support our church financially, this is a great time for you to do that. There's other ways to do that. You can give through PayPal. You'll see that up on the screen in a moment. But after the ushers come and uh, pass the plates, stand with us as we sing. And um, if you would like prayer as you deal with some kind of pain in your life like this, you're welcome to come to the front. Pastor Stephanie's available, Pastor Roy, Sid, myself. There are others who would come pray with you. If you're up here and you need prayer, we will do that. And we will take time to do that. All right? Let's sing together.